Hi, this is Amy Lombardi, and I run the TuneCore office in Austin. I'm a director in our entertainment relations department, and I get to host today's episode. Thank you. We're going to talk about the resurgence of vinyl, and I'm joined by Jesse Atwell, Senior VP of Marketing at Triple Eight Management, and Taishi Fukuyama, CMO of Crates. First up is Jesse Atwell from Triple Eight Management in Austin, Texas. Hi, Jesse. Hello. Welcome to Music Made Me. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. Would you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about what you do? Of course. My name is Jesse Atwell, and I'm currently SVP of Marketing for Triple Eight Management. We are a full-service artist management company with uh, about 30 clients, ranging from rock to pop to country, and we have offices in Austin, Texas, and Nashville, Tennessee. That's amazing. Uh, some of your artists we work with at TuneCore... That's correct. You guys are very helpful for us, and we appreciate you. Well, thank you. We appreciate you. Um, I wanted to talk to you today about the resurgence of vinyl, and I thought you would have a particularly interesting take on it, given all of the artists on your roster and the different genres that they kind of bounce around in, yeah. or that they, that they live in, I should say. Love vinyl. <laughs> And how many of them are, are using it? So I'm curious. Um, the whole industry is seeing an increase in vinyl sales. Uh, what are you guys seeing on the Triple Eight roster? Yeah, we have you know about 30 clients on the roster, and uh, across the board, it's about a third who offer vinyl in one way, shape, or form. So they're they're using. Are they making vinyl like part of their album release strategy, or are they adding it at the end? Are they doing it maybe in between records? Or are they putting out vinyl? We're, we're doing whatever is right <laughs> and whatever yeah, works. Yeah, that makes sense because uh, every artist is unique. Yeah, every artist has different needs. And, you know, obviously there are some challenges with vinyl as well, the different turn times and the different decisions that go into making vinyl. Um, but, you know, what started a while ago, probably two or three years ago, uh, at least on, with the artists that, that we work with, uh, you know, a super fan would just kind of ask about it or more fans would mention it online. And so then we would make a pressing and that would turn into another pressing. And then it turned into maybe a special pre-order bundle for an album launch. And it's now to the point where vinyl is a conversation with every single record that we work. Whether do we have time to make it? Uh, can we come up with a special value add that differentiates our product from other vinyl offerings? Um, do we even have fans in this specific base that are interested in vinyl? So it's now a conversation with every single record we release. That's really interesting. I, I was going to ask you about that. Do you think, um, because a lot of your fans are kind of, I'm sorry, a lot of your artists are kind of career artists. They are career artists, I would say. And so their fans probably are looking to buy as many different options as, as there are available from from each artist, not just a T-shirt, not just a digital download, but vinyl as well if it's offered. And if they're somebody, like you said, who's who's listening to vinyl at home or it's because they are career artists, they tend to be able to reach their fans with more intensity on each record. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, <clears throat> you know, for us, it is how do we serve different people differently? Uh, and for a lot of, you know, a lot of listeners, a lot of customers, streaming, of course, works for them. And we, we work, of course, with the DSPs and we figure out how do we offer a stream in a unique way? Is it additional commentary? Is it additional tracks? Like, what is it that differentiates that experience from the CD experience? And what differentiates our, differentiates our CD experience from the vinyl experience? And because 
it's not for everybody. And for those fans who want to go that next step and go from, hey, I listened to a song once on Spotify to, hey, I bought the CD and it's actually really, really good to, oh man, I bought the limited edition uh, vinyl and it's on, you know, blue vinyl and I'm going to show it to everybody that comes into my house. That's the next step for us. And so uh, it is, it's an important part of that equation. Yeah, you just you just answered a question I was going to ask you if your if your artists are having a great time designing the the vinyl that they once they once it's decided that they're going to do it if they're having a great time designing it. Yeah, customizing yeah. the color gatefolds are like yep. the most fun thing in the <clears throat> world to look at. Yeah, no, it, it's beautiful and it's 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 fun, but it's hard. It's a hard fun because you know, once the record's done, of course, there's it's baking the cake, right? I mean, it's it's how are we going to market and promote this thing? But also, what is our product? Like, what are we offering people fundamentally? And for some people, that is just, we're going to throw it up on the digital services. And that's an easy conversation to have. It's what's our image? You know, how do we how do we stand out on the iPhone or that playlist or, or the on the iTunes music store? Um, but vinyl? Yeah, it's, it's, it's bigger. And like, physically, by definition, it's bigger. And it gives us more decisions to uh, to play with it's it's what's your weight what's your quality what what color are you using what's your stock yeah gate fold what's your inner sleeve so there are a lot more uh, conversations to have around the product itself um, but that opens up our palette of colors right and so anytime we have the opportunity to do that it gives our clients just another channel to express themselves creatively. And so fundamentally, it's a very good thing. Yeah, there's a place for lyrics again. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the last two records I bought have l complete lyrics, and it, it's amazing. I'm a, I'm a big, you know, I'm a big lyric nerd. You know, that's a that, that's funny that you say that, because some people listen to the lyrics, and some people just listen to the music, and they have no idea really what the lyrics sound like. No clue. There are songs that are very, very close to my heart, and I still don't know what they say. I mean, one, one of them smells like teen spirit. Just, I don't know what those, wor those words are. <laughs> I'm going to email them to you after this. <laughs> um, so where are your artists selling vinyl? Are they selling them? Like, are they doing like the pre-orders? Are they selling them on the road? Are they in stores? We are selling wherever music is sold, of course, because our job is to, you know, s serve the fans wherever they need to be served. And... Uh, specifically with vinyl, that is, we are doing online orders. We are doing traditional retail um, uh, through independent chains. We are doing uh, um, vinyl at uh, live shows, but it's it's different, right? So it's just another thing. It's another skew. It's something else to keep track of. And so depending on the artist, depending on the fan base, depending on even the merch seller, right? We can actually do very, very well uh, at live shows in terms of volume it could easily be 50% of total annual sales in vinyl coming from road. Um, but of course, we do, we're very aggressive with our pre-order strategies and offering vinyl, giving customers another option to engage at a different level. As part of the pre-order phase, we, we move a lot of vinyl in that phase as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the bundling really mm -hmm. helps. Um, it's funny because the, the touring part of it is, you know, the vinyl is pretty precious on the road because it has to go in a temperature controlled area and it can break and, and it, it can, can break. warp and it can get <laughs> lost and yeah it's it's a whole thing but um but it is selling i mean i've i, I did some research you know it's expected to be like what 70 how many 
millions of dollars or how many billions millions of dollars in sales this year oh it's 30, appro- approaching 30, a billion yeah, yeah it's approaching a billion in general yeah and you know that's up from when vinyl had like begun its resurgence in like 2005 ish mm-hmm. right and then i think what maybe 2013 it started to really be in urban outfitters and become part of mm-hmm. the pop culture uh t- stores yeah i, like I mean that, that that's how it started for us you know i mean it started with the bands that it made sense with you know that okay that band yeah vinyl totally makes sense for that band but now there are artists who we work with that we're talking about vinyl and they've never made vinyl before, but they're going to make vinyl this year. Right. Maybe they didn't even like listen to records on vinyl or mm-hmm. play them on their own. Right. Yeah. They were maybe have been like we're cassette kids. Yeah. And we're making cassettes too. Yeah. But- <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, there's that's our there- next podcast. Yeah. No, I mean, there's this giant tactile movement, right? I mean, people are, and it's not just trendy. It. It's different, um, but people are buying typewriters again. They're writing in bullet journals. They're buying and listening to vinyl. And there is this element of, of secondary use, you know, that comes with vinyl. And anytime you have a secondary use, there's additional value there. Uh, because there are people who buy vinyl just to hang it up on the wall. They frame it. And they tell us this. They buy the vinyl record, they get it signed, and they frame it on the wall. And they never listen to, to the vinyl. Then there are people who, they do, they listen to vinyl every single night and it's a core part of their listening experience. And a lot of people, they love that coffee table. It's it just, it's another form of self-expression. It's the band t-shirt. It's, here's, here are my favorite bands because you're not going to spend 20, 30, $40 or buy the limited edition vinyl box set. I mean, I, I bought the Beatles original analog masters. I think it was a couple hundred bucks and it's a beautiful package and it's totally worth it. But you don't do that for the band who you just stream once on a playlist. It's a different experience. Yeah, for sure. It's like your bookshelf. Yeah. So this, what do you think the, re, the this renewed interest is? Where do you think it's coming from? Is it is it kind of like a what you seem to suggest there with like a a, a longing for for physical things from the past that you could hold? Yeah, I I think it's some of that and I th- I think it's you our could show who you are. Yeah. I think it's our search for meaning because for the longest time you did that with your CD case in your car. You drive your friends around and your friends would open up your CD case and you, they would flip through your records. They knew you as a person, but now they know you deeper on a different level because if you like this band, you're cool. Mm-hmm. And that kind of disappeared and a lot of streaming services and a lot of new uh, apps and a lot of new platforms have tried to solve that problem, right? How do I make music more social again beyond just the one-way listening experience that you get from leaning back and listening to a playlist? Uh, and I don't know if anybody's nailed that. I mean, Napster a long time ago did because it was very social. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was a college experience and you talked about what your friends were downloading on Napster, but that's fundamentally different now. And the vinyl record is just another way to to show off who you are as a person and to create that meaning again that you used to have with your CD collection that that it just isn't fulfilled now. Yeah, you said meaning and I and I I thought also what you just said it's 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 a form of identity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this is who I, this is what I'm about. This is what I like. Yeah. And uh, but I'm I'm a nerd with that stuff too. I mean, I I think I mean growing up 
I listen to vinyl records. I listen to cassettes. I listen to CDs. I listen to 8-track tapes. I'm a reader. I still subscribe to magazines. I buy books. Like, that's... I, uh, you know, I enjoy that stuff, and I consume it in a variety of formats. Uh, I think I think people who enjoy music, if they're vinyl buyers, they're also streamers. You know, like, they're going to enjoy music in a variety of different ways, vinyl being one of them. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm wondering... I, you know, I think that the, the only reason that vinyl got a bad rap, because it really does sound fantastic, and, and though it's delicate and somewhat precious, is because it's heavy. Yeah. And it's hard to move around. So as life goes on. Yeah. But um, it seems like the collections are smaller. They are. And it's expensive to make. And it's expensive to buy. Uh, I can have 30 million songs available on demand whenever I want for $10 a month. Uh, or I can have one record, um, that could, you know, get scratched at any moment by my four-year-old daughter, uh, for $35. Has it been, uh, has the cost been worth the return for your artists as far as just not even just the monetary financial return, but what they're getting back by being able to offer, uh, this, this whole other version of their, their story. That that's it. I mean, you hit you hit on it there because it it's expensive. It's expensive to make. We've done everything from uh, uh, one off, like on demand one off finals, to traditional large pressings where the economies of scale kick in and you're able to get your costs down. But it's still expensive, you know, compared to either setting up an album for streaming or pressing a CD. It's mm-hmm. still very expensive, yeah. and the costs go beyond the cost of goods. It's just the thing. There's invent. There are some fixed costs, of course, like mastering, but uh, and artwork. But there's inventory management, and there's hauling it around, and there's shipping. It it's a thing. And so, yeah, one ROI you have to look at, of course, is the finan- financial ROI. Like whether I'm selling 500 copies, 5,000, or 50,000, am I turning a traditional profit? Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. The other ROI is: am I serving these people, the different fans, differently? And am I really providing them something uh, that provides an opportunity to come closer to the artist. Um, and, and, you know, that that's priceless. Yeah, the, the price tag for either nostalgia or mm-hmm. for um, touch. Yeah. Right? Or, or for being on somebody's coffee table yeah. when three friends come over for a, a kegger. Yeah. You know, like... Oh, I miss keggers. That's no, great. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, how I'd love to hear a little bit more about how vinyl came into your life. Like, what was the first? Do you remember the first piece of vinyl you you bought or you fell in love with? I think I do. I think I do. I mean, I was fortunate enough to grow up around music, and uh, I mean, a lot of people have. You know, a lot of people have grown up in music, but my mother had a large family. Uh, her mother, with my grandmother, had a large family, and everybody lived within the same mile radius from each other. And I recall growing up, and we lived kind of with my grandparents for a bit, and I I would walk into the room, and my grandmother and her brothers and sisters would be around a table jamming. Like, they played music together, and they recorded these old bluegrass songs to uh, digital audio workstations, like, in the 90s. Like, it was a long, wow. long time ago. And my mother and her brothers and sisters were in a family band that would go around. I mean, just local. It was nothing crazy, but they would travel and play music together. I had two uncles and they were music nuts. One built a recording studio from scratch. Like he went out to like a chicken barn 
and built tables out of two by fours and bought all this digital audio workstation equipment and, and just made a recording studio. And another uncle was uh, a touring musician, like paid his bills for years playing music. Um, so we listened to music on vinyl. We listened on eight track tapes. We listened on cassettes and eventually CDs. It was just a big, big part of our family and growing up. I think my first, the, the first, I mean, I was three or four probably when I learned to flip the record, you know, Jesse, go flip the record. Right. And I think it was Tom Jones. Wow, I, that's fantastic. Either Tom Jones or like the Chipmunks Christmas, you know, which <laughs> I would play year round. <laughs> <laughs> I like knowing that you're a festive person. And I just bought the Chipmunks Christmas like eight months ago. Again. For your kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we're going to we're going to play it again. Uh, did you buy it on vinyl? On vinyl. Yeah. Yeah, of oh course. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, the Amaz Amazon is a whole new thing now. I mean, I I don't get out. I love record shopping. I mean, yeah. when I was in New York, I yeah. remember when Tower Records uh, was a thing on West 4th and Broadway. I yeah. would go there over my lunch break. I loved it. And I still hear people, I, still, I hear young people talk about buying records and, and it's not just an old person thing. You know, it's it's happening across every demo. And um, I would visit the record store and I, I got my start at record retail. I worked at a Sam Goody and I, I just loved the whole thing. I worked at a record town. Oh, nice. Yeah. But nice. I used to go to that fourth. Uh, I used to go to that Tower Records at Fourth and Broadway. Oh, yeah, that was beautiful. amazing, amazing, amazing. And but now it's you know I'm I'm a grown man and I live in the suburbs and I have uh, one daughter and another daughter on the way. I can't just say, hey, honey, I'm going to go like to the you know record store and spend three hours. So Amazon, Amazon is Amazon our friend. from the sofa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get. I mean, the last couple records it was like a Bastille record and. The Pixies catalog, and uh, I mean, nice. it just goes on. And then the Chipmunks Christmas. I yeah. mean, it's just, it's whatever I love. That's great. I remember having um, uh, a Disney book that had a record at the on the last page. Do you remember yeah. the, the books that had the records imprinted on them? It was The Haunted House. Nice. I don't know if they do that now. That would be interesting. Any new, uh, any new vinyl coming from Triple Eight artists in 2018 or for... Uh, the holidays in 2017 yeah should look out for yeah we are uh of course we have you know a couple more releases coming this year um vinyl it looks like vinyl will be a part of uh those launches one being a very big record and so we have to look at how how we solve for that you know in in terms of timing and, and our pre-order offers and we're playing with the idea of doing something very limited edition uh but we've also offered like original acetate masters and t vinyl test pressings and um, ways to go beyond just the vinyl itself, you know, because uh, if it, if you just want an LP, that's been part of our offer. But if you want a signed LP, that's cool too. We just look at what kind of value add can be part of uh, that whole pre-order phase and will people get excited by it? Will fans get excited by it? Do they need the lyrics? Do they want a fold-out poster? Do they want the, the color dips, you know, so we've explored all of it and we have a couple exciting offers coming this year. I can't wait. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today, Jesse of, Atwell. Of course. Thank you for the offer. It's, yeah. it's good to hang and I love talking about this stuff. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Now we're going to go over to Tokyo, Japan and talk to Taishi Fukuyama of Crate. Hi, Taishi. Welcome to Music Made Me. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here with us. So I want to I wanna tell our listeners a, a little bit about what you do at Crates and what Crates is. So Crates, 
launched in sure. Japan mm-hmm. in uh, 2015. For one, you're a you're considered a vinyl broker, but that's just one of the many things that Crates offers. And you have very fast production time, which solved that bottleneck issue that the industry had been facing over the last few years of having to wait a very, very long time to get on the pressing plant. (laughs) (laughs) And you do small runs, um, like 100 pieces. Can you talk to our listeners uh, about this magic? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So at Crates is uh, make a really... um, pleasurable experience for the artists in the label to first create and then release their record uh, music on vinyl. What that means is we take away the need to having to figure out which plant presses what and and who, who can press it, what quantities, and you can just come to our site, plug in the numbers, upload a, <clears throat> a thumbnail and some uh, preview tracks for your fans to listen to while they either crowd, uh, while they back or a crowdfunding project, or we can do straight up um, pre-orders. And then once your target goal is met, we'll press up those records and also take care of all the individual shipments to all of your records worldwide. That's amazing. Could we could we could we go to the crowdfunding portion of what you sure. were just talking about for a second? Because I think this is just ingenious and really exciting for artists who are developing and trying to reach their core fan base with something really cool. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process? So <clears throat> most of our users um, love that we offer this crowdfunding uh, service. First of all, all you need to do is start is um, a, a simple thumbnail of the cover art that the, of the EPLP that you want to release and choose your color of the vinyl, your quantity, and then within minutes you can start a project to crowdfund as little as 100 units, 100 copies of your music. And um, once your backers uh, fulfill your target goal, we will, again, um, press up those records at the, one of our uh, partner, partner's plants, either located in Europe or the U- U.S., and then get those records to all of your backers. That's fantastic, um, and they get to the the fans get to see what the what they're going to be buying, what they would be buying, like what the color of the vinyl is going to be, what it looks like, if there's marbling on it. Exactly, yeah. So right now we offer um, ten, uh, seven, twelve inch double LPs, <clears throat> color vinyl, transparent and splatter, and um, actually within the very very soon we'll have actually a self serving. Um, a self-serve version where you can do a lot more options. We can actually um, do color and color and, and three color splatters and, and all crazy things today too. But it's a little bit um, more customized through our through our um, artist support team. Yeah. So how generally how long does that crowdfunding crowdfunding process take uh, from so, from oh, the beginning to you know when it when the vinyl is is reached to somebody's home? Uh, well, after after the the funding process is is over, and you send in your uh, production ready assets, it usually takes around six to eight weeks. And if you wanted to do test presses, it could tack on maybe a week or two. But um, but that's about the time frame that we're uh, committed to globally. That's amazing because I mean we really did we we were looking at at least six months, six to eight months for vinyl only a couple of years ago. Right. Uh, that's that's um that was. That's crazy times, and and it's great that uh, we were able to um, partner with with great manufacturing 
um, partners that allowed us to offer this turnaround time. But with that crazy bottleneck, like I think you know, every month we're reading articles about there's a new plant open up in like the states or in Europe or in, in Australia. So that's that's really great. Yeah, I I was uh, I was saying earlier, um, you know, I'm based in Austin, Texas. I I am the only TuneCorp person in Austin, Texas. But um, you know, here okay. in here in Texas, we have um, we have two recent uh, vinyl pressing plants. One is called Handron Pressing, and it's in Dallas. And one mm -hmm. is um, one is opening soon here in Austin called Gold Rush Vinyl. So it's mm, obviously okay. the resurgence of vinyl is, is getting to the point where, where, you know, people are creating businesses around this, like you did. And, and the, the special thing about crates, which I just want to tell everybody how crates is spelled. It's Q-R-A-T-E-S and it's crates.com if you're looking. That's right. Yep. Um, <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the cool thing about crates is that you can do the, you know, the, the press and sell which is, you know, if you are already funded for your vinyl, you can, or for your vinyl project, you can, you can order it through crates, you can do crowdfunding, and then you can also do back catalog through crates. That's right. And so again, tell yeah, us, the press tell and sell is, sure, um, it, you pretty much, is uh, it similar to press and right sell? There. Yeah. Yeah. Catalog is, um, is just using our, uh, service as close to a, like a e e-commerce card where you are if you have inventory in your office or maybe in your, in your garage or something and want to offer your records on crates um you can do that you would have to take care of the, the fulfilling but but the other benefit of selling on crates is that not only do we have you know a ton of vinyl like really targeted vinyl enthusiasts within our platform but we also have a um, offering called store delivery and what that is is that it's we network with uh well now we have about 100 plus stores within our network where they're shopping their uh, inventory directly with crates so that means they have their own login portal and they get to comb through which of our currently live uh, projects are available to buy at wholesale and the wholesale price is actually um determined by the artists themselves not by us so so they get to the artists are in full control of which which of their releases are available for stores to, to buy, and how many? That's amazing. Is this the is this the section of of is this the distribution portion of crates as well? Yeah, it's mm -hmm. the it's, same it's a, stores. That's right. So it would be like Juno in the UK and Fat Beats and for for hip hop records, and we have um, like a reggae dub dedicated store that's you know looking for for reggae and, and dub. So it, it's it's quite um, if if you have a specific genre of of records that you want to target to like a specific store and if you want us to sell to that store some art some artists will actually be like hey can you actually just talk to the store because i want my records to get in there we we've started relationships that way as well so it's it's kind of ever-growing list of stores right now yeah it seems like I I infinite possibilities there because you're just building relationships all the time and when you're dealing with a community that's as enthusiastic as record collectors i mean it's endless <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think we we just um, started a conversation with a with a, one of the stores in in Texas, like recently called Heights Vinyl. Um, so a quick shout out to them. I, I believe they were from Texas. I'm sorry if, if I'm wrong, but uh, but yeah. So, so it's kind of again, more artists are selling directly to fans and directly to stores through crates.
I think, yeah, Heights Vinyl is from Texas. Which, which part of Texas? Houston. Oh, Houston. Big shout out. Oh, okay. I wanted to ask you, how did crates come about? Uh, how many, what's the core, who, who's the core of crates? How did it come about? So the, uh, the founders of crates, all of us have some sort of background in actually producing music or being artists ourselves. And we've um, used services like yourselves to distribute our music worldwide. And it was weird how that's so easy, but manufacturing vinyl is so difficult. And also, it's, it's a huge risk. You'd have to have a pile of money lying around, kind of guess how many of those uh, records that you need to press, and then having to warehouse them and, and find the right e-commerce solution and, and maybe labeling and shipping. And why did it have to be so difficult? So we, that's kind of the challenge that we wanted to tackle and we take that pain point out of the equation of, of having to, when you're trying to release music on vinyl. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier. Um, vinyl is so precious. It requires temperature control. It breaks easily. Um, mm. Especially oh, yeah. the, you know, the old style pressing machines that, um, well, that are being replaced now by by machines that are more efficient and have less breakage. But, yeah, it's it's, it's heavier and um, people, that you know, it was harder to, for stores to keep inventory, especially when digital is easier. But there's this huge resurgence. Why do you, yeah. why do you think there's a, such a big resurgence and in interest just, in vinyl, especially with, from people who didn't really necessarily grow up buying it? I think um, as streaming has really made music consumption so simple and personalized and, and um, convenient, the, we've came to realize that, the process, the actual you know, activity of music listening actually isn't just about the convenience and, and there's an aspect of it where you can, it's really enjoyable when you hold something and you look at something and, and when there's like a ritual, like an actual process of listening to that music that you, that you want to you know, listen to. And you know, some people will say people buy vinyl for the appreciation of the actual audio quality. And, and sure, that may be true for, for purists with that really high-end you know, audio system. But personally, I think it really has to do with everything except for the actual, you know, the listening part. Because listening to music is, is you know, ubiquitous. It's available through, you know, all of the music streaming services out there. You have the whole catalog of the world at, at your fingertips. But it's everything else except for that that makes vinyl really special, like the tactical aspect of it. And and again, like the, having to you know get up and put put a, a piece of vinyl on, on a turntable and, and like all this all this kind of makes that really special. And also, you know, of course, it it gives the the fan a chance to feel like you're one step closer to like the, that really awesome world that the, that the artist made. I find myself buying vinyl even when I back when I didn't have a turntable when I go to a show and I'm like blown out blown away by this show I see and, and then I just want to get close to the merch table because the artists are there and then I buy the whole thing but I don't even have I buy all you know the vinyl too because I feel like it's a part of the artist and it, and it gives me something to to remember that show you know so there's so many things I think that vinyl offers um that digital doesn't yeah, it's really interesting that you just said that uh, 
the word that I was thinking of while you were talking was ritual, and it really is. Mm. It's it's a, there's a pleasure in that, in, in in the pausing of time to go flip the record, and just the the, the tactile nature of it. Right. So so how did vinyl uh, come into first come into your life? Like, do you remember the first record you bought, or the do you remember a specific listening to a, a certain record on the turntable? I, I do. Um, so I think it was like when I was in early high school and um, I was just roaming around New York City and and um, it was when everything that was kind of non-mainstream started to look really cool and and I found myself wandering into a turntable lab and it's one of the record stores there in New York and and um, it's when I discovered drum and bass and electronic music as a whole. And it was, that's when I was thought that, you know, it, it was really mesmerizing to see music in that format, first of all. And seeing, um, and when you, when you walk into that um, uh, record store, you instantly feel like you've kind of walked into a, a club, you know, like there are people in there that, are in there looking for specific items, you know, and, and, um, you just want to, you feel like you want to be a part of that club. So, you know, I, I remember every time I was in the city, like I would go to go there and, and check out what other people were, were flipping through. And that, yeah, that, that's, I have a really distinct memory of that. It's pretty amazing watching people DJ, you know, with vinyl. <laughs> It's yeah, absolutely. It's so yeah. much fun. Was there any kind of was it was it mostly drum and bass music that you that you listened to initially on vinyl? Not necessarily. Just um, I wasn't a, a vinyl uh, collector based on specific type of music. Again, like I would still buy vinyl like um, when I go to shows, even when I, if I didn't have a turntable. So it was more of like a way of myself like enjoying music um you know I, again I, I kind of go back to this it's a little bit abstract and conceptual but enjoying music isn't just about listening right it's it's about um experiencing and it's about reading and seeing as well so I, that's the element i i think vinyl relief really fills the gap yeah it's like an isolation tank yeah it's a, it's a i don't know it's like a it's a great vehicle to to extend everything else except well not, not the you know the listening too it can be great but but it's a lot more i think yeah so i know i know crates um participated in the abbey road reds incubator program yes could you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about that experience that's um, sounds so incredible yeah absolutely yeah so we were very very lucky to be chosen uh, as one of the um, companies to be a part of that program and as a startup based in Tokyo, and uh, we do have a, um, a small office in, in the outskirts of Paris uh, where our um, uh, operations CEO is, and but we're, as the vinyl resurgence is, is predominantly happening in the US and the UK, we're, we were always trying to figure out, like, without having to hire a bunch of people with the money we don't have, <laughs> um, we, like, what's the best way to to what's the what are the best options out there and and we would 
did a lot of research and obviously like conferences and and um, working with PR companies and were the options that we were looking at. And then we found Abbey Road Red. And it just seemed like the perfect fit, obviously, one, because, um, well, they're, they're also owned by Universal Group and it would be an interesting conversation to have to what would it, what it would be like to maybe work with their back catalog. And, and uh, they have legendary mastering facilities there too. So through, through Abbey Road, um, we were able to kind of have a, you know, like a, like a relative on the ground in London that's, you know, the uncle that everyone knows. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, it really opened up many, many meetings, not as like, you know, a, a cold call sale, but more like, um, you know, like a, you're an insider from day one. Sure. So that's, that's been very, very valuable. What are, um, what's crates have planned for the, the new year? What's crates have planned for 2018? So, um, recently we announced a, um, collaboration with Kickstarter and what that is, is, um, we are providing our fulfillment and manufacturing services for Kickstarter project owners as well. And uh, we've baked that part as a service inside crates. So you'll see that more integrated. Um, so if you just want to use crates as uh, a manufacturing and a fulfillment partner, that will, be one of, that will become one of the options as well. But again, uh, if you do want to host everything on crates, there are specific benefits to that. One being that we, we do have a great passionate community of vinyl enthusiasts and also the store delivery program that I just mentioned that will get your records um, in front of stores and also actually vinyl subscription services too because uh, there we, we are in touch with a number of them that and have actually bought um, hundreds of records at a time from us. But the other thing is we are working on the next iteration of Crates will we'll probably be our first big uh, renewal. So we're... Through the first two years of operating crates, we've had ton of user, you know, artist feedback. This should be that, and and how do we really bulletproof our, you know, operations in in, a, in the sense of manufacturing and logistics? When you're serving digital files, and you know, it's it's so different than when you start to actually make physical goods and try to move them around around the world. We're you know you're working with lead times and um, logistics companies and so all all of those moving parts are actually improving every on a, on a daily basis but it's going to be a big implementation probably by the end of the year i, I want to go back to this kickstarter thing for a second because that's incredible <laughs> everything you just said is awesome but the kickstarter it just opens it up to just a larger swath of people i didn't mention but um you know creates is a partner is partnered with TuneCore. And, um, so our, our customers and clients and artists, um, you know, get to, get to know about your service before they even have to find it online outside of TuneCore. So I'm just, I'm, I'm excited to speak to you because right. I think this and, Yeah. So, um, and also, uh, we've offered, uh, like an exclusive discount for TuneCore users too. So I hope, um, many of you will take advantage of that. Uh, you'll have a discount on, on your, uh, vinyl pressing piece. Okay, so Taishi Fukuyama from Crates, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure.
Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for uh, thank you for leveling the playing field for vinyl brokering and uh, good luck in 2018. Thank you so much. And again, um, TuneCore artists, um, please do take advantage of that discount that we're offering. Um, it's exclusive to you guys. You can link to it right from uh, your TuneCore account, right from the TuneCore website under Artist Services. Thanks, Taishi. Thanks, Amy. 